Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Today we have Alex Sabio. You've probably seen him around on our forums on Facebook. Uh, short-term rental investor. He's been at it, what, about a year, two years? Uh, so I'm really excited yes. about interviewing him because his uh, his journey has been really exciting and I've been able to kind of watch that from the beginning. So Alex, welcome to the show. Avery, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I always love speaking with you or getting on a call whenever I get a chance to speak with you. So, oh, Awesome. Yeah, me too. And uh, you always thank you for always jumping on my Facebook lives and things like that uh, for asking good questions. So uh, thank you so much for, for participating and helping other people. Absolutely. That's what it's about. Just helping others out. Um, anytime I could help anyone out, I'll jump on. Awesome. Well, let's get down to it. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, how you grew up, where you came from and how you got into real estate investing. Um, yeah, so I'm a married father of four. I live here in Southern California, um, Filipino, and my family kind of got me into healthcare. So real estate isn't my first thing. I'm in healthcare. I'm a respiratory therapist. Like every other Filipino family, they get you into healthcare. But something inside of me always had like uh, just the entrepreneurial spirit. And I kind of always wanted to do my own thing. But I started uh, as a respiratory therapist in 2002. And back then, everybody was getting into real estate. And I'm like, I kind of want to do that. And uh, the real estate journey kind of began with my grandparents. They actually had real estate in Los Angeles back in the 1970s. And they owned boarding care facilities. Facilities, um, throughout Southern California and I'm like one of the only ones in my family that kind of had that bug to get into real estate and I remember my grandparents told me one thing there's always these little nuggets that people tell you that kind of always stick with you my grandma always told me she said I never really made good money until I started investing in real estate for some reason that always stuck with me and so in 2004 I started investing um, in real estate just like everyone else here in Southern California um, the environment is just like it was to it is today where prices were jumping and um, you know off the boards and everything was going uh, over asking and you know I bought a real estate property and I remember the property went up over $100,000 the first year. And I said, whoa, there's something to this. And at the time, I was only making like $40,000, $50,000. So I started investing um, out of state with like a bunch of turnkey properties. Um, and I was an absolutely terrible investor. I'm going to let you know right now, like a lot of those properties were like negative cash flowing or barely breaking even. But it looked cool. Like I, I, I had these homes in like North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, like all over the place. Um, and then eventually uh, I wound up um, getting hit in 2008, just like everyone else. Um, and then I had a foreclosure and then I had a bankruptcy. Um, completely hit rock bottom, almost lost everything. Um, and eventually back in 2013, I started getting my finances back together, got a better job, a little bit higher paying job started making a little bit of money. And I said, hey, let me get back into real estate because um, I learned all of these lessons. And when uh, I told myself, if I got back into real estate, I'd focus heavily on cash flow. And that's how I eventually got into short-term rentals. Um, 
So yeah, I bought my first short-term rental in 2020 and the rest is history. So it's been up and running since then. That's really an awesome story. I've talked to you probably a, a thousand times over the past two years and never realized that you were investing before 2008 and that you actually had like a, a bankruptcy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that shows you, you know, um, like anyone can do this. I mean, there, I, I always tell people, I look at different people's situations and I say, you know, you're actually in a better situation than me. You just don't know it yet. Like there are people with all of this equity in their homes, better credit and everything. And they're in better situations. It's just for me, like my wife really should have stopped the boat. Like she should be like, we're not doing this anymore. We made too many mistakes, but something inside her, she said, you know, let's keep going with this thing. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I, I, I had all of these small properties, uh, long-term rentals, and it just, I wasn't getting anywhere. You know, you'd make a hundred, 200 bucks a month. And then every two, three years they'd move out and you'd have to spend three to five grand to fix it up or something crazy, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So it's very rare that I get someone who was actually investing during that time. So can you talk a little bit about, cause everybody says, Oh, we're waiting for another crash. We're waiting for another crash. And to me, like, yes, of course it's going to correct at some point, but it's not going to do that again. Um, the factors at play are different. Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about like the differences in the market when you were investing back then and now? Yeah, well, what I can tell you is the strategy is completely different uh, this time. Like I really was investing for appreciation and it was more of like a passive investment for me where I kind of just gave it up to, uh, you know, um, a property management team. So that way they could handle all of the business and I would just get checks in the mail. When I pivoted, I pivoted into short term rental. Um, and what I believe is I actually don't care if the prices go down. I actually want them to go down because I'm going to buy even more because the thing is the way I'm buying these short term rentals is they're cash flowing so heavily that um, like on average, they're cash flowing about $5,000 a month per property. And if you know what I worry about more so if like visitation goes down, if visitation goes down, then my profits go down. But if the property, the price of the property goes down, I'm like in a strong position to buy more. So that's the difference today. It's mainly based on my strategy. So cool. So let's back up to the beginning of this short term strategy. And then we'll kind of get into the nuts and bolts of that, because I do have some notes and some things I want to zoom in on that you just said. Sure. But yeah. so how'd you get started with short term? What made you decide to jump back in uh, in the past few years? Wow. It's uh, crazy. If you told me that I'd be investing in short-term rentals two years ago, I'd tell you you're absolutely insane. If you told me I'd be investing in Tennessee or Alabama, I'd be like, where the hell is that? I don't even know where that is. I live here in Southern California and I never even heard of these places. Um, something kind of happened with my uh, journey um, where I told myself, I'm going to start hiring the best professionals out there. If we were constructing a team uh, I was playing like the Oakland A's where I was trying to do money ball and do everything on the cheap and try to get the biggest bang for your buck. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start constructing my team like the New York Yankees. I'm just going to go ahead and pay for the best professionals out there. I don't care what the cost is. So I actually hired uh, Amanda Han, who's my CPA. 
Uh, she wasn't cheap, but Love I said, her. you know what? <laughs> yeah, right. I said, you know what? That was my first actual like big hire. I was so proud of it. I said, every single successful person out there has an amazing tax person. So I found her. I said, I'm going to hire her. And I wanted to start growing the business. And um, really, I said, you know what? I have a bunch of single families. Let me go into multifamily. So I started getting into multifamily in early 2020. And it just, everyone knows what happened early 2020. COVID hit and it just wasn't happening with multifamily. And she threw in this nugget. She's my tax strategist. She said, hey, Alex, why don't you look into short-term rentals? Because they can give you a pretty good tax break. And by the way, some of my clients make a little bit of, a little bit more cash flow too. She really should have started the conversation with, you should get into short-term rentals because you're going to make so much more money that way. And the tax benefits are on top of it too. So um, I actually teamed up with a couple investors um, at a, at a boot camp I met up. Um, that's something I highly recommend everyone do is find other investors that are like-minded and team up with them. I mean, me and these guys, we met every single day. We called brokers every single day, uh, property management every day, lenders every single day other investors every single day. And out of that, it's kind of weird how that morphed into um, short-term rental. Because my tax strategist says, hey, you know what, take a look into short-term rental. And then at that time, I, I did the same thing what I did with my CPA. I said, "Who is the? where is the best place to invest in short-term rentals? And overwhelmingly, everyone kept saying the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And I'm like, where the hell is that? I never even heard of it. And I said, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Who is the best short-term rental agent in the market. And overwhelmingly, everyone kept saying Avery Carl. And I said, okay, I need to get a hold of Avery Carl. And it's crazy how fast this happened because I got a hold of Avery Carl, you, and then um, <laughs> I said, hey, um, I got a weekend off in two weeks. Can I come and visit you? And he said, yeah, come on by. And two weeks later, I was under contract. I went from zero, like hardly any short-term rental knowledge to like, getting under contract in two weeks because the numbers just made sense. Because in multifamily, you do all of this, these underwriting, uh, um, you know, deals and you start really learning the numbers and then short-term rentals co completely blew away any other deals that we were looking at with multifamily. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there. The first thing that I want to touch on is the hiring the best professionals. So I see a lot of people and disclaimer, this is not tax or legal advice, but it's just an opinion of a real estate investor. Um, so I see a lot of people in our Facebook group asking about uh, CPAs and also asking yeah. about um setting up LLCs. And I see yeah. a lot of people complain. So uh, you use Amanda Hahn, who I love so much. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I also use um, Brandon Hall, both of whom mm -hmm. are expensive. And right. um, I see a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, this guy's really affordable or that guy's really cheap, or uh, you can just use LegalZoom to set up your LLCs. <laughs> so <laughs> I there are investors that I know that own over 10 properties that are still using TurboTax, which makes me oh sick to gosh. my stomach, makes yeah. me so sick to my stomach. A, because you're missing out on a lot of benefits that you and, tax, and TurboTax just aren't set up to, to do. Mm -hmm. And then B, yeah. you're probably making some huge mistakes that could end up yeah. costing you a lot later. So that yeah. really hurts me. And then also the LLC thing. So um, I see people on there asking for attorney recommendations and a lot of people saying, <laughs> oh, you can do it on LegalZoom for 1500 bucks. <laughs> so now, and that might work for one 
one or two, but me, yeah. for example, I've got 94 doors now. And if mm -hmm. I had tried to legal zoom every single LLC, I would be in a huge mess that would cost a lot of money and legal fees to untangle to get done the right way. So yeah. make sure like CPAs and attorneys are not a place to go bargain hunting. So make sure right. that you're hiring. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of different professions too. Like your agent makes a difference. Your lender makes a difference. Yeah. So make sure I, I really like that strategy of hiring the best. You want to be the dumbest person in the room yeah. uh, in order to be successful. So that's, yeah. that's what I try to be when I'm hiring people to do things for me. I want right. you, I want to be dumb compared to yeah. you. Yeah. It's um, like people yeah. trying to get discount surgery. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like right now, like you just need to get in there and get the best person for the job. And I use like football analogies. Like I'm a Cleveland Browns fan and my team absolutely sucks. But the Green Bay Packers have an amazing quarterback. His name's Aaron Rodgers. Do you really care what Aaron Rodgers is asking for? He's the best quarterback in the business. I want to pay him whatever he wants because that's going to help you win. So exactly 100% agree with that. And the other thing that I want to that I think we can attribute a lot of your success to is is being serious, being a serious buyer, picking a thing and going with it. And right. um, so for me, the you did email me and say, hey, I want to come out. When can I come out? Two weeks. OK, <laughs> boom, you get under contract. So um, being serious and not uh, beating around the bush and uh just hopping around different markets and different asset classes uh that is going to get you a lot further picking one thing and just going for it then i see people all the time who are like oh hey yeah um also if you come across any multifamilies for long term let me know and i'm like I, that's not what i do um right. So you actually asking me that is you picking the worst person for the job to find you a multi uh, because I don't know anything <laughs> about multis. I mean, I do because yeah. I own four of them, but I have an expert in that field to do that for me. And also that tells me when you're asking me about something that I don't do, that you're not ready, that you're not serious. So uh, kudos to you for just picking up the ball and running with it. Yeah, you know, something weird, like there's all these little nuggets that I listen to, uh, like my basketball coach uh, in high school, and I sucked, by the way, in high school, but um, uh, he said something and it's weird how it always stuck out. He says, the harder we work, the luckier we get. And so that's kind of how it was. I just kept working hard, working hard, working hard. And eventually I kind of landed on this. So. Yeah, and I, I kind of fell into it myself, but I do. I think about my junior high basketball coach a lot coach force that was his huh. name coach force and um he i mean i don't know if he was or wasn't a great coach but he like prided himself he would say i'm gonna make you cry this season and that was his goal <laughs> and so just getting yelled at as a 12 13 year old girl for no reason i right. think that that's helped me a lot in um mm. situations where there's you know whether investing situation where there's a lot of noise and you're trying to figure out what the best thing to do is and there's all these d different things like eating at you of what if this happens what if that happens so that's kind of my basketball coaches helped me with my focus as well <laughs> right 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 maybe, maybe i should call him and thank him or not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you should reach out to him. Yeah, Coach Force. I'm sure he'll be easy to find. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about saturation, market saturation. So a lot of people, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so you're investing in the Smokies and in Gulf Shores. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people ask me about, well, is the short-term market getting saturated? So the short-term shop is in 10 markets now, and people ask it about every market. They say, oh, short-term rentals 
they're getting saturated. Like there is one, there is a certain number of short-term rentals in the United States that once we hit that number, nobody's going to make money anymore. What are your thoughts about that? Um, There's probably some truth to that if you're using property management. Um, But what I can tell you is you're going to go out there and just outwork everyone else. Um, That's what you're going to do. There's all of these other listings that are out there that you're going to compete with. Um, and you just have to outwork them. You're going to have to get better pictures than them. You're going to have to market it better than them. You're going to have to have better pricing strategy than them. I just jumped into the Gulf Shores area and I went over there with the mindset that I'm just going to Smoky Mountains this property out. Um, meaning I put an arcade game system in. I put this cool Simpsons arcade game system in and my, my uh, cleaners is looking at it like, what the hell are you doing? Like nobody does that. I said, well, I just want to stand out. And then I put a, a art mural in the background. She said, oh my God, you know what you're doing because you're standing out above the rest. So if it is saturated, there are markets out there that I feel are too saturated for me. If I'm playing a basketball game, I actually want to play against my kids. I don't want to play against the Lakers. Right. And so um, if I go into a market, I look at it and I say, how much work do I have to do? And so like that Gulf Shores uh, short term rental we got, I'm putting, like I said, arcade game. I'm putting air hockey table like no one else has an air hockey table. I'm putting murals and I'm just really cleaning it up. So I feel to me, if I work harder than everyone else and I stand out above everyone else, I think I'm going to do better. I agree with that. And kind of uh, segueing into your visitation point from earlier. So to me, I there are certain types of markets, I think, that will get saturated. Um, Those are the smaller markets or like the smaller metro markets. Um, And uh, so for me, I like, for example, a market to me that would get saturated. I'm from Starkville, Mississippi there. It's a town of 20,000 people. There's only one thing there. It's Mississippi State University. And (laughs) the only tourists that go to Starkville, Mississippi are Mississippi State fans. It is one SEC people are crazy. (laughs) Mississippi State has the worst football team in the entire SEC and always has. Uh And people still come in town every weekend to watch Uh football. Um, So the first few people that started Airbnbs in Starkville were making tons of money on these game day tourists. However, since that is such a narrow uh, tourism funnel, it's only Mississippi State fans, uh, after a certain point, no, the prices are going to be driven down because there's just not that much tourism that goes there. There's one thing. So places like the Smokies, Gulf Shores, Destin, Broken Bow, places like that where there's millions and millions of tourists going there a year, to me, it's like things aren't getting saturated because everything in those places that has ever been built has always been built specifically to be a short-term rental or a vacation home. So it's just that this is now an asset class that is becoming established that the older school, like uh, multifamily investors are finally recognizing it as a viable asset class and not just like a bunch of kids renting each other's couch to each other. Uh, I think that a lot of the saturation fear that people have is more just because it's getting a lot of attention right now because it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Multifamily is difficult right now. So I'm buying multis right now. And, you know, we're looking at cash flows of like three and five percent. We're going to have to do a lot of work and we'll get those up. But, you know, people are are looking at analyzing short term rentals and they're like, oh, it's only 20 percent. What do you mean it's only 20 percent? Where else are you going to get 20 percent? So um Talk a little bit about that. Like it's really about the the visitation and not yeah. the not how many properties there are. 
It's crazy because when I went and visited you that time, um, number one, it was hard to find an Airbnb. So if you're thinking about uh, like investing in an area, why don't you rent an Airbnb yourself and go visit it? And when I got there, I, I'm here in Southern California and I tell people this place is like Las Vegas meets Disneyland. There was so many damn people everywhere. And there, there's supply and demand is uh, really what's going to drive your profits. There's really not enough places for people to stay. And there's too many people. And because of that, you can easily increase your price, uh, especially during the summer months. Like everyone, nobody wants to cancel their vacation, especially if they're like teaming up and, and you know, coordinating between two, three families. Um, so they have to book your place. Supply and demand are heavily, heavily in your favor in these mature markets that you uh, that the short-term shop uh, sets up in. Awesome. So let's switch gears uh, really fast. So what's in your portfolio? How many do you have? What's the configuration? Give me those details. Yeah, this is crazy because, um, you know, I started in August 2020. And it's, uh, that's when we acquired our first one. And it's really been less than a year and a half. And where we've gone in such a short amount of time is absolutely insane to me. We're close to financial freedom. So we actually own two in the Smokies. And based on your advice, like I listened to the professionals, they said, hey, get the four bedrooms. That's your biggest bang for your buck. So I kind of waited it out and tried to save up money to get those bigger properties versus getting a bunch of two bedrooms or one bedroom. I could have kept jumping on them, uh, but that was my strategy. So we actually have two in the Smokies um, and we have two more that are being built, uh, two more four bedroom pool cabins that are being built. Um, and we can't wait for those to close. So we'll have four here in the next six months, we hope. Uh, and we just closed in Gulf Shores, uh, Alabama, which is a bucket list thing for me. I never thought I'd own something by the beach. I mean, coming from where I come from, it's like, are you, you've got to be kidding me. So I have a three minute walk to the beach with one of my Gulf Shores. It's also a four bedroom, two and a half bath. And we're actually closing on two more short-term rentals by the beach in Gulf Shores uh, here in the next 10 days. So in the next six months, we hope to have seven short-term rentals. And that gets me to financial freedom more than what I could, could have hoped for when I first started this. That's amazing. So let's talk about the numbers on these a little bit. So obviously we can only talk about the ones that you've closed on and owned. So what kind of numbers are you seeing on the two that you own already? Yeah, ridiculous numbers. That's what I could tell you. <laughs> um, I remember when I talked to you, um, uh, when I first bought my first home, it was 629000 And I looked at it, you got to understand, I was buying sixty dollars to $80,000 homes just two years before that. And for me to 10x that uh, was difficult, right? And, and the home I bought was even better than my home. It had granite countertops and like way nicer design than my own home. And it didn't make sense to me. Um, but that home, you told me that it would generate conservatively maybe $100,000. And that thing grossed $135,000. Um, and I owe that all to you, your team, uh, your Facebook group, everybody that has input. Uh, I obsess with these things and I take all of that feedback and I, and I apply all of those strategies. So that thing grossed $135,000 and I profited about half of that. 
50%. And the one thing that's crazy is that we use these strategies to help offset our W-2 income. So I paid zero on taxes that year. I got a $41,000 uh, refund. I, I never got anything that big. Um, so that was the first property. It grossed 135,000. I profited about half of it. And that's with a bunch of rookie mistakes, guys. I mean, I, you know, we all make the same mistakes when we first start, we underprice our property. We, we, we set our holidays to like way lower than what they should be. Cause we don't know, we don't know any better. But the second one, I said, Hey, how can I make more money on this? Do I go bigger? And I took your advice again. You said, Hey, get something with a pool. I said, Okay, let's get something with a pool. So we have a four bedroom, uh, four and a half bath with an indoor pool. And that thing is on pace to gross $180,000 on the low end. And that's with me making more rookie mistakes again. You know, um, uh, there's some construction in the area. So I priced it a little bit low during summer and I launched uh, midsummer. So I didn't even take advantage of the full summer. So, yeah. And actually, let's touch on that really quick, because I think there there is new construction going on in a lot of markets out there. And I actually own one in that same market as you with the I mean, in that same neighborhood as you with the mm -hmm. construction. And I was one of the first people mm -hmm. to close. So I've had construction mm -hmm. the whole time. So yeah. that property, it's a four bedroom. It's grossed over one hundred thousand. And that is also with us a pricing low, but B, uh so we, we d we've done a few strategies. We priced it a little bit low to see if we could get booked, knowing that there was going to be construction noise. And then we actually changed to just pricing it high because like it, the pool's going in right behind ours. So if there's construction going on right behind, we're like, mm, we'll just price it kind of high. Maybe people won't book it uh, yeah. just because there's construction noise and it still got booked. So, you know, with us, I would say we probably only did maybe 65% of what we could do on a regular year. So I'm looking forward to right. next year with that one. And we also yeah. got it up like we missed a few um, of the spring break weeks. So, I mean, I think that one will be able to improve quite a bit. It did over a hundred thousand um, and we paid 600 for it. So it's not bad for like actually trying to not get booked. <laughs> right, right. It's crazy how short-term rentals are. I think when you underwrite like long-term rental or multifamily, um, you know, I'll notice a lot of engineers that are investing in multifamily and they want the numbers to be exact. They want to know exactly how much this property is going to make. Short-term rental, you have no idea. It's almost like asking, hey, uh, how much will this sandwich shop make if I open up a sandwich shop in Los Angeles, California? There's so many factors to that. You know, um, it's going to ba be based on your marketing, your pricing strategy and you and your customer service as a host. Um, I know in that same neighborhood, my neighbors have the same exact floor plan as me and our numbers are completely different. You know, it, it, it's based on sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Like, you know, you have your prices higher than the other person. Or sometimes some people are real anal with it. They're like, hey, I'm never going to rent my place lower than this amount. And so because it's a slow season and another investor will go, well, I'll, I'll rent it out for that much. You know, I'll go down that low and they wind up generating a little bit more money. So, yeah, there's so many just little things about the management that you can own the exact same property as your neighbor and mm -hmm. do wildly different numbers, even just if you guys have different minimum price, I mean, not minimum price, a uh, minimum night stay. It's like if you have a five mm -hmm. night minimum night stay and they have a three, well, they're going right. to make more money because they have lower. So there's all kinds of tweaks and things. And I, I have found that engineer clients have trouble 
uh, with that. They're like, no, no, there is a right and best way to do it and a, yeah. a fully optimized number. And we need to know what that number is. And it's yes. like, well, that number depends on you. It depends on right. what you do. <laughs> it drives me nuts. They call me all the time because I host real estate meetups all the time and I help other um, healthcare professionals invest in real estate. And they want to know, well, how much is this property going to make? I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. It's going to be based on, on you. And I don't know if visitors are going to change their habits or not, you know, so... But there's yeah. definitely it's definitely more of an art than it than it is a science. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about financing for a minute. So how are you financing these? And I have a big question on the, the bankruptcy. So has that impacted your ability to get financing or is that far enough in the past or is there a number of years in the past? I'm sure there's people out there that have bankruptcies that are like, yeah. oh, I can't get financing. Can you shed a little light on that? Yeah, I think I had like limiting beliefs out there. Like, you know, when you file a bankruptcy, you're not going to be able to invest in X amount of years. And I remember getting into like penny stocks for a while because I was like, I'm not going to be able to do bank, you know, um, real estate again. Um, so I tried to find all these other side hustles and come to find out, like I found people who were filing bankruptcy around the same time I did. They're buying homes, too. I'm like, wait a minute, let me get back into this. So um, just keep poking and prodding just because someone says something um that doesn't have much knowledge and stop listening to people who don't have that much knowledge into something like it could be a coworker, or a family member like oh you have a bankruptcy you're not going to be able to invest but there are lenders out there that will work with you and so when i first um um one of the things that it, it did affect me tremendously um i, I was going to put 10 percent down on the first vacation home and my lender backed out on me like two weeks before uh closing and I had to scramble like crazy. And eventually what wound up happening is I, I wound up having to put a little bit more money down, uh, which was closer to 20% down, uh, but that thing still made money. Um, I think people will have those situations happen and they will just stop, you know, they, they won't, they'll be like, oh, you know what, I'm screwed. I, I can't finance these things. But with me, I just kept working at it and trying to find the best professional out there. Um, so I found someone and I wound up having to put more money down. But that thing was still a home run. That thing was still a grand slam. You know, even with me putting 20% down, um, I still made good money. And at a certain point, I think um, even up until my last purchase, um, my lender said, hey, you had a bankruptcy um, and your credit score is under, I forget what she said, like seven, it was under 700. And so you're not checking the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac box. And so we can't finance this property. You're going to actually, because you could have a limit up to six properties. That's what she told me. And at that time I had uh, six properties. So I had to sell one. So that brought me back down to five. So I could purchase the sixth property, which was going to be the short-term rental. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, guys, limiting beliefs. It just because like, you have something on your credit or a bankruptcy or, you know, anything that doesn't mean that you can't get financing. You just have to keep calling different lenders until somebody tells you yes. Yeah, there's always a way. I mean, um, someone else has figured it out. So just keep asking the questions and you might have to pay a little bit more interest or you might have to pay more out of pocket, but that's OK. Just keep going forward. So. 100%. Yeah. So let's talk about property management software. What are you using? Um, I try to simplify it. Um, so I use um, 
your porter or it's called what is it gusty for hosts now yeah so that's what i use yeah (laughs) (laughs) i've tried different property management softwares um and for me the reason why i invest in short term or in real estate in general is for time freedom and i don't i've tried different software and you know see i'm asian but i'm not like the smart asian it's kind of (laughs) embarrassing you know and, you know, like people would copy off my paper in high school. And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, and they would get upset. Like, dude, you're supposed to know this. You're Asian. But I'm not that guy. Um, anyway, um, but I've tried different ones and they they just take too much of my time. So I like simple and ease of use. And the one thing I like uh, with Guesty for Hosts is that they automate the door code for me. Um, and that's one task taken away when I'm looking to scale up. Um, I want the guests to have the last four digits of their phone number automatically set with my door lock uh, from the time of check-in to the time of checkout. So that that one feature kind of did it for me. So Awesome. What are you using for pricing? I absolutely love Price Labs. Um, the, um, that's what I use. Um, if you're not using Price Labs, you're leaving money on the table. Like I have strategies out there that I teach people that easily will generate you five to ten thousand dollars a year, um, and that's um, a twenty dollar a month investment. Drop in the bucket, absolutely worth it. No brainer. So that's awesome, and I think that's another thing. Back to the the it depends on you and how you manage how much you can make so there's an agent on our team that owns a a lot of properties in all different markets and this requires more work but she makes more money she waits until like she keeps her calendar blocked until like three weeks before and then opens it up and has her property at super high prices and she's in really really busy markets so it's going to get booked and it's going to get booked super high so right that, that's not something that I wouldn't necessarily recommend as a strategy because she's a, uh-huh. an expert, but right. it's kind of genius and she makes more money <laughs> than a lot of us. So yeah. it really does depend on you and uh-huh. your pricing strategy and your management strategies, how much you can actually make. Right. I've talked to that agent. I applied that strategy. It's crazy as it works. Did it work? <laughs> it, it works. Um, and really it was because I had... Um, like a cancellation during one of the holidays. And I said, let me just jack the price up and it got booked like later Mm -hmm. on. So just, just, I'm extremely patient when it comes to pricing. I'm going to keep my prices high and I'm going to wait because what did I say before? Supply and demand are heavily in your favor and people need to book a place. So. Yes, they do. They absolutely do. So uh, talk about your pool property or properties. I don't know if any of your places in Gulf Shores have them. Uh, A lot of people are scared of pools. They know that they're going to generate more income, but they're worried about liability and insurance and the cost of maintaining them. Talk a little bit about that. Well, um, it's almost like uh, buying another property, to tell you the truth. I could tell you that your your, um, occupancy will jump up probably a good 10% more. So if you're probably 70% occupied, you'd probably go to 80% and that's being conservative. And you're gonna um, get about 50 to $100 more uh, per night. And that's probably on the low end because during the holidays, you're gonna you know, kill it. They are a pain in the ass. I'm gonna let you know right now. I mean, you're gonna have to deal with it. But the thing is we're looking at the pool and we're, we feel like the pool is gonna generate probably $50,000 more a year in gross revenue, just having that pool. I know some investors investing in like Joshua Tree, California that are generating $50,000 a year. 
gross revenue. It's almost like having another property. So when you look at it, it was it worth it? Absolutely worth it. Um, but it depends on you as an owner operator. Like, is it worth your time? Is it are you good at solving problems? Because you're going to have problems. It's, I mean, in the Smokies, we have issues with our hot tubs all the time. Like it's breaking down or, or guests don't know how to heat it up. The pool is just like having another hot tub. It's another issue you're going to have to deal with. And, and you're going to have to deal with another cleaner because uh, you have to have a, a pool cleaner on top of your cleaner. So you're having to uh, coordinate that person too. Um, but absolutely worth it if you can figure out the management part of it. So. so I know that you have to drain hot tubs in between. Do you have to, how often do you have to drain a pool? If ever. Um, yeah, I don't think you do. Um, but so the, the pool cleaners are in there every, after every single guest. So um, I don't know if um, in different markets, if you have an outdoor pool, um, you know, maybe it's once a month or something like that. But with me, I, I, you know, we have it. Our pool is so small. It's like seven by 15. And guys, don't let that uh, stop you from buying a pool either. Because guests absolutely love my little seven by 15 pool. <laughs> Every single person comments like how they loved it. And it's like, uh, I say it's four feet, but it's probably three and a half feet. Guests absolutely love that pool. So um, yeah, I, 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 I've actually had to drain it once. Okay. And the reason why, and I'm, um, I tell you, pools are a pain in the ass. One of my guests poured like bubble bath in there. And I was like, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with people? The pool was completely covered with like, uh, like bubble bath. And my pool company looked at it like, what the hell are we supposed to do with this? So eventually we wound up having to drain the pool, clean it and then refill it. So that why would you do that they're like filming a music no video idea. in there <laughs> i have no idea and the funny thing is um they claim they didn't do it and so we caught them in a lie they said that the, they said that they claimed they didn't or uh, they said they claimed they didn't do it at first and they said it it wasn't it was like that before uh, when we got there and then they said when we left it was clear and uh one of the things we did that was our first claim we we um we put in with Airbnb to get money back and Airbnb actually rewarded us. Uh, so oh, we really? got money back from Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, it wasn't worth all of the headaches and any of that. And the next guest, we actually had to discount the next guest uh, half a night because they couldn't use the pool. And then we gave them the sob story. Like, I can't believe someone poured bubble bath down and they looked at it and they're like, yeah, I guess they're stupid. You know, I can't believe someone would do that. So we lost money that way. Uh, but Airbnb did um, refund us. But just um, I guess the thing to note is just make sure all of your communication is on the platform so that way they can go back and review it. So they can document it. Yeah, guys, that's yeah. actually I don't think we've ever talked about that on on the show. So why why can't why should I not text a guest on my personal phone or call them and talk to them voice to voice? Yeah, so that, I think that would be bad practice um, because what if they bait you into like confessing something or like um, what if they admit to something? Um, so you want to have that all on the platform and that worked out for me. And then that was a lesson learned, like we're keeping everything on the platform. And we've had guests try to contact us and text us um, and we tell them, hey, um, you know, let's just keep everything on the platform just so that way. And I turn it around on them just so that way there's a record for you and for me. So 
Yeah. You never, guys, you never want to answer a phone call or a text from a guest. You want to keep everything on platform just in case anything goes sideways, then there's documentation of all of the communication and what exactly happened. Because if you get on the phone with somebody, there's no record. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what if they are extorting you and said, well, you have to discount me 200 bucks or else I'll give you a bad review. You need that in writing so you can keep that from happening with the platform. So that's really good advice is keep all the communication on the platform. Right, right, correct. Cool. Well, Alex, we are getting to the end of the show and I have three questions that I ask everyone at the Let's very do end. it. What you got? <laughs> all right. The first one is what advice would you give 20-year-old Alex? Um, don't try to DIY everything and try to hire and look for the best professional you can. Um, you know, I think um, you tr- like if you're going to get a real estate agent, get the best one. Don't worry about the price. The price is going to pay for itself. You know, paying Aaron Rodgers $45 million is going to pay for itself. Don't try to be like the Cleveland Browns who gets $13 million quarterback or someone that's not as good. And you're going to try to, um, you know, I I think you're going to lose time. So get the best person in the business. You're going to be a lot more successful that way. So that's really great advice. Yeah. Kind of along those same lines. What advice would you give a brand new investor who's looking to get started in real estate investing today? Um, probably the same thing, you know, just, just get in, uh, don't overanalyze it. And I probably, you know, fan the flames and in a sense that I created like a short-term rental calculator and people ask it all the time and I give it to them, but I'm like, dude, if my real estate agent is telling me to buy, don't overanalyze it, just buy it. Okay. Listen to the professionals out there. And what's crazy. I'll tell this little story is cause, uh, Avery, um, you came to me and said, Hey, there's this property available. And I gave you like 20 different questions like, Oh, you know, is the location? Okay. Is, you know, um, what's the build like? And I said, who the hell am I kidding? What the hell am I, what the hell's wrong with me? You're my agent. You are the best in the business. Are you telling me to buy yes or no? And you said you should buy. I said, done deal. That's it. I'm buying it. No changing, you know, I'm not changing my <laughs> mind. And so, um, yeah, find like the professionals and listen to them. Um, that's that's really my advice. I agree with that. Um, I've got an agent that works for me in, um, or not, not for me at the short-term shop, but like for me as an investor in um, other markets. And I'm like, if you tell me that this is a good one, like I trust you. Yes. And that's, you know, that's why you hire a professional yes. to, to help right. you. And if they can't, right. then maybe you need a new professional. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Last one. So what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Uh, I'm going to go probably a little different than what anyone else said. Um, there's this book. It's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Uh, listen to the audiobook. I know Avery and uh, Luke, if you guys are runners, you'll absolutely love listening to this guy. Um, this guy is just an animal. He's a beast. Um, and he pretty much like just he doesn't make any excuses, you know, and he's had worse uh uh, beginnings than any, everyone else. He's had a, a, a worse hand dealt to him than anyone else, but he was able to be successful. Um, so 
I listen to a bunch of mindset books and that's really what helps me out. I don't listen to a lot of how to, because I think if your mindset is right, if your motivation is there, you're going to be able to figure things out. You're going to be able to work through things, work it out. But hundred percent David Goggins can't hurt me. Listen to the audio book. You won't regret it. Luke is obsessed with that book. I think he actually listened to it because uh, he always listens running and he's been talking about it for two weeks, trying to get me to read it. And I just haven't yeah. gotten around to it. <laughs> uh -huh. so oh, you I'll got to listen to it. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming. Uh, if the listeners want to reach out to you, I know you host a, maybe it's a healthcare professional specific meetup, but do you want to tell yeah. us about that real fast where they can find that? Yeah, so I'm in healthcare, and I noticed everyone was miserable during the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> we were like completely overworked and you know uh, mistreated by you know a hospital or or, or management. Um, patients were extremely needy, and we were burnt out. But I looked at everyone, and I had a huge smile on my face because I was happy and I was financially free. And they're like, "What the hell are you doing? You know, I want to be, I want to do what you're doing." And so I decided to create a Facebook group. It's called Healthcare Professionals Investing Real Estate. So I help a lot of other healthcare professionals. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of doctors wanting to invest in short-term rentals, um, you know, and they're in it for the same reasons I am. And so I kind of help them. I and really all I do is I send them to you. That's really all I do. <laughs> I say, "Hey," they're like, "Hey, that guy's really smart." I'm just like, "Okay, I'm gonna send you over to the short-term shop." So I do that and. And I host weekly meetups online um, and I, all I do, and, and it's open to everyone. And all I do is a pro, I provide value. I try to, and, you know, have different professionals on there that talk about cost regression or talk about taxes or talk about LLCs or talk about multifamily and just so, all sorts of different real estate strategies. Um, Short-term rentals is a big thing because I host that. Um, um, so a lot of times we'll talk about multifamily. Everyone's asking me about short-term rentals. <laughs> I'm like, this was a multifamily, you know, um, uh, topic today, but, um, but yeah, that is, if you guys uh, want to look for me, um, uh, the real Alex Sabio on Instagram, or you can look me up on Facebook or that Facebook group is called healthcare professionals investing in real estate. Um, that's where I'm trying to help everyone out. Awesome. I'll send my brother-in-law. He's working on his residency right now. And funny uh, story about me is I am a nursing school dropout. Hmm. I dropped out. Really? After a I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, well, it was, I graduated with my undergrad uh, in communication from University of Texas mm -hmm. in 2009. And there were just right. no jobs. There were no corporate right. jobs. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go to nursing school. And I did that for two uh -huh. semesters. And I was like, no, I cannot. I'm not I'm bad at science. I'm science. I'm... Right, right. So then I played in a punk rock band for the next few years. Mm, uh, but good yeah, choice. I'm nursing school dropout. <laughs> Cool. That should be your Instagram handle or something, you know, like nursing you know, maybe school dropout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, thank you so much for coming. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Avery. I love speaking with the goat, the greatest of all time, literally oh, wrote the book on short term rental investing. <laughs> thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. OK, thanks, Avery. Bye.